Well, there's two things that have been causing me to do some self-reflection lately, and those are suffering and death, especially. These, these two realities are, are always around us. They, they're a reality of life, and sometimes they seem near to us, close to home. Sometimes they're more distant, but there. A couple weeks ago, I attended the funeral of my best friend's dad, who passed away suddenly at age 69. And as funerals do for us, that experience caused me to pause and to think and to reflect and to look inwardly. I was thinking of questions in that experience of, well, what would I be remembered for if that was me? What would be remembered about my character, my commitments? What would be remembered about the evidence of God in my life if I was the one who had passed? Then there's suffering. Many of us know someone experiencing illness, chronic or terminal. Many of us have witnessed or experienced personally suffering over the last few years of this pandemic, financial, physical, emotional. Another unique form of suffering that weighs on me and may weigh on you as well is the struggles and the persecutions faced by fellow brothers and sisters in Christ around the world on a daily basis. Whether it's in India, as we prayed about, whether it's in Nigeria, where the church faces attacks from extremist groups, whether it's in China, where the government has increased its crackdown on the underground church. These things are a daily reality for other Christians across the globe. And so as I think about suffering in our community, suffering in the lives of Christians around the world, as I think about those who experience abuse or betrayal, pain, I've just been confronted with questions lately. Suffering and death is sort of like a mirror. As we consider it and as we stare into it, we have to then stare back at ourselves in some sense. So I wonder as I consider death, as I consider suffering, as I consider persecution, I ask myself, would I stand up under similar pressure? Would I cling to God? Would I stay strong too? At my very core, who am I? What will I be remembered for? Who do I want to be? Who am I becoming? These are the questions that swirl for me. To borrow a, a cliche phrase, if I may, I'm forced to ask myself what are my true colors? What are my true colors? This morning we begin a new series. This first Sunday of Lent, we begin a new series looking at the seven last words of Jesus. And for especially the last several hundred years, Christians have been reflecting on these final words of Jesus as he hangs on the cross. They've been finding meaning in these words, comfort in these words. These words that we'll explore 
have inspired works of art, works of music. These seven last words are important because they reveal several things. They reveal Jesus' humanity. They reveal his divinity. But they also reveal his heart. What is in his heart? This morning we consider the first of these words. And by words we mean phrases, but they've traditionally been referred to as the last words of Jesus. And today's is, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. This morning I want to highlight two things about this word for us that I believe are true for us. That as we look at this word, as we look at the context of this word as Jesus is on the cross, and then as we look at the cross itself and what God accomplished there, we first have a reason for confidence. We first have a reason for confidence. But secondly, another thing that flows out of this word, I believe, is that we're also compelled by God's forgiveness. So we are both confident of his forgiveness and compelled by his forgiveness. So as we turn to this word, let us first pray. God, we thank you again this morning for your word. We thank you for these particular words that have caused much reflection and in which is much meaning. And God, so as we look at this, pray that you would reveal to us your heart, your true colors. And as we pray always, Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit to do in our midst whatever it is you desire to do. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Matthew scripture that Peter read for us this morning, we encounter some of Jesus' accusers. Jesus had been captured by armed men who were sent from the Jewish chief priests and elders. He's, Jesus is eventually dragged before Pilate, the Roman governor, the Roman official, the one who had the only authority to do what the chief priests and the elders wanted. And that was to execute Jesus. But Pilate, it seems, knows that Jesus had done nothing to require the death penalty under Roman law. And yet he appears to be afraid of this mob that's formed in front of them. These crowds clamoring that Jesus would be crucified, that another criminal would be handed over instead of him. Pilate doesn't want to see any more unrest stirred up. He wanted to maintain the peace. And so he bends to their pressure. He hands Jesus over to be crucified, and then he washes his hands of the situation. After the crowds force Pilate's hand here to see Jesus crucified, the scene then shifts to these Roman soldiers who, who surround Jesus, who, who mock him, who throw a robe on him as if he were a king, who fashion a crown of thorns and place it on his head, who kneel and bend the knee before him, pretending to honor him as the so-called king of the Jews. Like the priests and elders, perhaps these soldiers who surround him, maybe they were happy to see him disappear too because he had been creating a lot of problems in the sectors of the city that they were commanded to keep order in. 
So these are Jesus' accusers. These are folks who fail to see Jesus for who he is, who ridicule him, who mock him, who torture him, and who kill him. And as we know, after this scene, Jesus is then led outside of the city where he would be crucified. But there, as he hangs on the cross, he utters our first word for today, first word of our series, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. As we unpack that, that word, that phrase, we see that it's first a prayer. This is a prayer that Jesus addresses to his Father. As we know from the Lord's Prayer that we prayed together earlier in our service, this is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father. It's a term of, it's an intimate term. It's a term of relationship. It's a familial term. It's a term of trust and confidence. This tells us that Jesus knows the Father. Jesus trusts the Father. Jesus is confident that the Father can deliver on what he is asking him to do. Confidence. I'm blessed to have a dad who would do anything for me. My dad has given me money. He has lent me money. Neither of those recently. (laughs) He has given me tools. Those were recent. He's transported things for me hundreds of miles. He has helped me move into several places. He has stored things for me in his own place for way too long. Most of the time, often I don't even know what to ask or even think to ask, and he offers things. We also have a relationship of trust, myself and my dad, and so there is this trust that nothing that I will ever ask of him is irresponsible or may do damage to me. You may relate to this, but if I'm honest, those times when I I know that I have to ask him for something, I tend to start the conversation a little differently. Hey, Dad, how's it going? Hope you're doing well. Good to talk to you. And I don't do that because I'm not confident that he can deliver on what I ask. I do that to invoke our relationship. I am his son. He is my dad. When when I call him and ask him to do something, I'm confident that he will be able to do it to the best of his ability. There's relationship, there's investment, there's knowledge, and there's confidence. So it is with Jesus. In the distress of his final hours and final moments, he appeals to his father, just as he appealed to his father throughout his life and ministry. And he's confident here that the father can deliver on what he's asking. But what is Jesus asking for? Jesus is asking that the Father would extend forgiveness. Jesus knows that the offer of forgiveness and the power of forgiveness is entirely in God's control. He's asking forgiveness for those who have mistreated Him, dismissed Him, rejected Him, refused to believe Him, trampled on Him. Forgiveness for those who would seek to extinguish the light of the world 
right in front of them. These were the transgressions of the crowds, the mockers, the accusers as they stood before the cross. Here and now, we don't have the same flesh and blood Jesus that the people did in this setting. But we still have the same fundamental choice in our lives. Will we receive Jesus and his gift of grace and forgiveness? Or will we say, you know what? I'm all set, God. I'll just figure out how to do it on my own. I'll just do enough good things to dig myself out of the hole of bad that I've dug for myself. Or or, or Jesus, you know, what you're asking is going to be too disruptive to my life and my choices. And so I'll pass. Same questions are before us in our lives, too. My all-time easiest open door to telling somebody about Jesus happened a couple of years ago. I was still in seminary at the time, and our daughter Julianne was in a daycare a few days a week. And in the course of that experience at the daycare, we got to know some of the other parents. And we were also members of the Y at the time, and so I would sometimes take our daughter there to their open gym. And one time as we were there, I bumped into a mom who had a son at the daycare. And we got chatting as the kids were running around, and, and it came up that I was in seminary. It came up, came up that I was trained to be a pastor. And for me, as an introverted person, I find those two facts very useful in terms of open doors of conversation about Jesus. And so naturally, it evolved, this conversation. And so I'm trying to explain to her what seminary is, trying to explain to her the faith tradition that I come from and what we believe and what I'm about and what all this means. And I'm doing my, my darndest to explain all these things to her in as easy a way as possible. And then in the midst of me fumbling around, she just asks, does it have anything to do with forgiveness? Well, it's such an open door that I almost didn't know what to do with it. And so once my mind and and, and my awareness caught up to this opportunity, I, ex- I explained to her, well, as a matter of fact, it does. And then I explained to her the gospel and why we need forgiveness to begin with as we stood there at the YMCA. That was a really interesting encounter for me because what I learned from this person who was very open, very easy to talk to, but non-religious for the most part. What I learned is that inside of her was this awareness that forgiveness is a need of ours. That wounding others, that offending others, that hurting others, that falling short, and that the breakdown in relationship that those things cause is real and is a problem. And then within her, as we had this conversation, my sense was that she is on this quest to find a belief system that might have resources for that very problem. That encounter there, that conversation, it was just a simple reminder that the promise of forgiveness is indeed one of those things that's at the very heart of what we believe as Christians. 
The good news for us is that God extends forgiveness to sinners. That God extends forgiveness to us, saving us from the death and the destruction that our sins deserve. And offering us life in him as we trust him. But this miracle that's at the center of what we believe, it it doesn't just happen because God decides that our sin is no big deal. He doesn't just say, oh, these things don't really matter. We'll move on. No, God in the cross, he maintains two things perfectly. His love and his justice as he pours out his own life as a sacrifice for us. What else does our text say? What does this word say? It says that Jesus asked his father to forgive because they don't know what they are doing. Jesus' accusers here, they, they probably had plenty to go on to actually believe his message, his claims, to believe that he's Messiah and Savior. But for many of them, their hearts were hard. They also didn't have the full revelation of his glory that was coming. And so they reject him. The well, same is true for us sometimes, because until the message of the gospel comes to us, we too do not know what we do. Until the Holy Spirit brings conviction to our hearts, we do not understand the gravity of our sin. We don't realize that our sins, great or small, contributed to that burden that Jesus bore on the cross too. Only with that awareness are we then able to receive God's gift of grace. I appreciate what a pastor named Tim Keller says about the gospel. One way we may think about the gospel message, he says this in his book on marriage. He says the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. One of the song, worship songs we sing sometimes says that sin was strong, but Jesus is stronger. And that's it. That's the gospel. So this first word that we're looking at shows a Jesus who under the distress of crucifixion, experiencing the climax of his suffering, his persecution that he endured for his message and his ministry and his mission. This Jesus is ready with his final breaths, with the last of his energy to extend forgiveness. But Jesus not only asks and prays, in his death and in the completion of his work there, he secures the very forgiveness that he asks for. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 7, says, In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So here on the cross, as Jesus is there, we have a Jesus who is both willing and able and powerful to forgive. That even in the face of death, even at the climax of his sufferings, he shows his true colors. He shows his heart. And as we peer into that, 
we are confident of his forgiveness for us. For us. But as Jesus' own teaching and as much of the rest of the Bible expounds, this example of astounding forgiveness compels us to forgive too. As we read the New Testament, much of it is basically an explanation of what is now true, what spiritual realities are now true because of Jesus. And then an application of that truth to our lives and to our relationships. And so truth, application. Truth, application. And many of Paul's letters read like this. And forgiveness is one of those realities that translates over from truth to application. Because because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can both receive forgiveness And because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can extend forgiveness. Paul says in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, Therefore, and therefore is one of these hinge words, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so we're reminded here in this pastoral word to a community, to a church, we're reminded here that our forgiveness of others is rooted in God's forgiveness of us. But when we look at the cross, and then when we feel what the journey of forgiveness sometimes feels like in our lives, we know that it's costly. We know that it was costly for God. We know that it can be costly for us. It can be painful. It can be unbearable. It means a laying down of our rights, a submitting of our will. And so the reality is that forgiveness costs every time. But forgiveness is also liberating. A Jesuit priest named James Martin reflects on this first word from Jesus. James Martin says, Forgiveness is a gift that you give the other person and yourself. Though costly, though painful, though unbearable at times, it liberates both you and the other party. And between services, I I had a conversation with someone who, who asked, How can I forgive somebody that passed? And that is very real. That is very true. That is often where the rubber meets the road if we've been wounded and never had that sort of opportunity. But forgiveness, in this sense, is simply a release. It is a release to God of our wounding, of our hurt, and a release in our spirit of someone else, whether or not we're able to interact with them anymore. So it's painful It's liberating. Father James Martin goes on to paraphrase St. Ignatius Loyola, who offers this thought as we think about this whole calling. That even if you don't have the desire to forgive, if you have the desire for the desire, that's enough. God can work with that. And so God takes what little we can offer him, and he walks with us 
toward forgiveness and toward liberation. Unforgiveness, resentment, these are things that can impact every area of our lives. Carrying unforgiveness can affect us physically, spiritually, emotionally. Recently, I was challenged to walk through some forgiveness myself with the help of a spiritual director. Because I was experiencing some, some anxious feelings, some, some heavy feelings, some pressure that was affecting me emotionally and even physically. And as he companioned with me, we came to this place where we felt perhaps led to deal with some of these things from the past. Now, to be honest with you, I, I wasn't necessarily sure that I needed to forgive. There was not this sense within me of, of resentment or this sense that there was unfinished business that I needed to somehow deal with that was holding me back. But I was open to walking through a door that God may have been opening for me. Now, what had to be forgiven for me was not deep trauma. It was not abuse. It was not particularly painful to walk through it, but it, but it was simply... And as I learned and experienced, it was simply an opportunity to offer to God my heart. To tend to my heart. To do some work that hadn't been done, if you will. And the process didn't involve a a face-to-face or a meeting or a, a reconciliation. But it was simply an opportunity between me and God with the help of a companion to offer her to him to confess how things affected me, to confess lies that I was led to believe, to verbalize to God how this situation had affected me, and then in the end, to genuinely bless that other person. Forgiveness sometimes requires deep work. It sometimes requires a supportive community Sometimes, like for myself, it just requires being a little intentional to tend to what's inside, to tend to hurt, to tend to your heart, to be real before God. On the cross, we see that Jesus is both our forerunner in forgiveness, setting the example in his final moments and hours of extending forgiveness to his enemies. But God in his kindness also walks beside us and goes with us and is patient with us as we pursue forgiveness. As Jesus hung on the cross there, ridiculed, beaten, tortured, he asked for forgiveness for his mockers, for his accusers, for his executioners who stood at the foot of his cross looking on. God, in his grace, is patient with us. Knowing that we need space, we may need time, but he goes with us. This morning, you may have experienced deep pain. You may have experienced traumas, or you may have experienced just disappointments or wounding from others who wronged you in some way. And perhaps it doesn't trip you up in any significant way. But God may have liberation for you as you give that to him.
And so if you are ready to forgive, or if you're just ready to have the desire to forgive, God will meet with you and empower you and walk with you in that. And so our first word, Jesus' first, last word gives us confidence of God's forgiveness for us too. As we see in the cross of Christ, God is willing and able to forgive. But this word also compels us to forgiveness. Confidence and compelled. In the season of Lent, we focus on examining ourselves. We focus on embracing God and our need for him as we prepare for Holy Week. As we prepare to remember and celebrate the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And as we do this, as we sit in this, we are confronted by Jesus' word. We confront our need to be forgiven that our sin was not dismissible. But we receive the hope that God made a way. That in Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness through his death. But we also confront this astonishing show of forgiveness. And we let it empower us to forgive in the ways that he calls us to do.